and kids, uh, second class and under, can be excused to a children's church if it so serves you. You can follow Miss Sarah in the back there for that. We'll even bring your kids back at the end of the service. Well, good morning, guys. How's everyone doing? Man, remember when we weren't allowed to sing out loud in a service? It just feels good to sing with you people. And it feels good to be up here preaching. It feels like it's, um, it's been ages since I've been up here. And I get the, uh, the privilege of being able to jump in and conclude this journey through Romans that God has had us on um, for nearly two years. Um, and man, thinking back to sermons on Romans 1, it feels like that could have been six years ago in COVID years. Uh, we've covered so much in this rich, gospel-dense, beautiful letter. And I was reminded of that as I was reading through it again in preparation for this. And um, just remembering all the ways that God's encouraged me through these texts and through sermons on Sundays. We'll have a chance to look back at some of those verses in Romans today. But I want to begin this morning with a confession of my own. So let me step into the confessional with you, as it were, and admit my own weakness. I'm an unbeliever. And uh, what are you doing up there preaching, Will? It's a, it's a fair question, but that's, that's the truth. I'm an unbeliever. And so are you. Now I'm, I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Uh, but I'm actually going to leave that awkwardly hanging there for a little bit in our minds until we see it come out in the text. In our text this morning, it's just those three verses that Dara read for us. Jason preached on 23 verses of names last week. I only have to do a three. And the only name there is Jesus, which I can pronounce quite well. Uh, so pray with me one more time and we'll, we'll dive in. God, indeed, great is your name, and greatly are you to be praised. God, we want to know you. We want to see you. We want to be near you. We want to be with you. We need your help, desperately. So we just pray, Spirit, would you move among us? God, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear as we look at your word. We love you, God. Please, please move in our midst. We pray in your name. Amen. The last three verses of Romans are what we usually call a doxology. You might see that heading in your Bible there. The word doxology comes from the Greek words doxa, which means glory, and logos, which means word. So a doxology is a word that ascribes glory to God. This is what God created us for, right? Our purpose and our deepest joy is found in glorifying God. And that's why we tend to see these doxologies occur in the Bible after climactic or final moments of preaching or writing. It's an overflow from the writer after having written something glorious about God. That they find themselves having to say, Ah, to you, God, be all the glory. And that's what's happening here. What Jason read last week is essentially the end of the letter. But Paul, 
carried along by the Spirit, looking back at all the glorious truth that he laid out for the Roman church, says, no, I, I can't end it there. I can't help but give glory to God one more time. And so this is what he does as we look at our text. There's a lot going on just in these three verses, but you can imagine a giant parenthetical in the middle of the verses. Verse 25 starts, Now to him. Imagine the parentheses all the way down to verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. There's our doxology. That's what Paul wants to say to end his letter. Now to him, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. But even with that, Paul Paul can't help himself. He has to include this parenthetical about God, which is basically his way of summarizing this whole letter to the church was about. And so he continues. Now to him who is able to strengthen you. And just stop there. The first thing I want us to see this morning, brothers and sisters, you need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened. For anything else said this morning to take roots in our heart, we need to know and remember and admit that we are weak and needy people. Like Paul said back in Romans 12, that in order to be transformed by the renewal of your minds, he says to everyone to not think of themselves more highly than they ought, but to think with sober judgment. And so here's sober judgment for us. Paul told us in Romans that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There are none who seek after God, none who are righteous. If anyone's feeling strong coming in here this morning, just know it's not because of your own doing. It's by God's grace alone. If you know yourself to be weak and in need of strength today, just hear this, don't don't be ashamed of it. Jesus isn't. He knows you and all your circumstance and you're exactly who his heart desires to run after and embrace. He spent all of his time on earth, not with the strong, but with the weak. Blessed are those who pour. Blessed are those who are hungry. Blessed are those who weep. Because in admitting their weakness to God, God will meet them and strengthen them. So let's, let's not fool ourselves this morning, church. We need to be strengthened. And good news, God is able to do it. God is able to do it. And what I want to spend the rest of our time this morning doing is just seeing how he does it. And so to see that, let's, let's look at what his word says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Weak and needy Christians How is God able to strengthen you today? He's able to strengthen you by the gospel. He strengthens us by the gospel. But wait a minute, Will, I've already believed in the gospel. I did that 20 years ago. 
What's supposed to strengthen me now in my weakness? The gospel. You see, our tendency is to think of the gospel as good news for someone that does not yet know Jesus. It's for the world out there, or maybe the seeker here among us. But is that, is that Paul's understanding of the gospel? Remember, the reason Paul is talking about the gospel in this concluding doxology is because he's, he's tying into the conclusion what his whole purpose of the letter was. Go back to Romans chapter 1-1 with me. It starts off, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for, for what? The gospel of God. And then he goes on to give his introductory synopsis of the gospel, which is almost word for word for his last verses in our text, leading to his theme of the whole book, Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. From the first verse of this letter to the last, it's all about the gospel to Paul. Now, who was this letter written to? Was this an evangelistic letter written to a group of unbelievers? Well, no, it was, it was written to the Roman church, wasn't it? It was written primarily to a group of believers. Paul wrote a letter dedicated to the gospel for a group of believers because Paul understood the gospel isn't just the power to save for someone that does not yet know Jesus, but it is the bottomless well of salvation that God means for believers to drink from for the rest of their lives. I began this sermon with a confession that possibly made you feel a little bit uncomfortable and even perhaps offended because I called myself and all of you unbelievers. Let me explain. I first believed in the gospel for my salvation and the forgiveness of my sins when I was 18 years old. God did a miracle in my heart that the old Christians used to call regeneration. I was spiritually dead in my sins, but God made me alive. He made me a new creation. By the Spirit revealing the sin in my life and my need for a Savior and trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, God counted Jesus' righteousness as my own. I was justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, as Romans 3.24 put it. In that sense, I've been a believer for 16 years. Praise God. My life is hidden in Christ, secured in his salvation forever, sealed by the Holy Spirit. My salvation isn't at stake. It's finished. And yet, I struggle with unbelief on a daily basis. I go to do something in ministry and my performance doesn't meet my expectations. In my head, I hear the words disappointment, failure. I look around at the people that I know that are more gifted me in those areas and I think, my gifts aren't enough. They're never gonna be enough. God will never be able to work through me. Oh, I know the right answer to that, doctrinally. But in those moments, that's not what I'm actively believing. There's unbelief at work in me. 
In that sense, I'm an unbeliever. Not every moment, of course. And not in God's eyes when it comes to my salvation. When I say we're all unbelievers, I mean we still have areas in our lives where we don't rightly or fully believe God. There are spaces in our hearts where we don't trust his word. We don't believe that what he's accomplished in Jesus Christ is enough to deal with our past and our present and our future. We don't believe his word is true or his work is sufficient. We don't believe we're unbelievers. Man, I have those moments. I'm sure you do too. Which is why Paul, writing to a church of mostly believers, writes an entire letter devoted to the gospel because he knows the issues they're having aren't going to be solved with behavior modification. That's how we tend to deal with most of our problems, right? It comes out when I scream at my kids, you know, certainly. They're yelling at each other and I say, guys, quit fighting. Just be kinder to one another. Stop being so angry. I'm trying to deal with them with behavior modification instead of repentance. But repentance isn't first to change in behavior, it's, it's firstly a change in belief. At their roots, the problems in the Roman church are belief issues. They need to be reminded, grounded in what God has done for them, is doing among them, and will do among them. They needed the gospel to remind them of their unshakable identity in Jesus, their unchanging value because of Jesus, and their divine purpose and mission in Jesus. They needed to be strengthened by the gospel, and so do we. If you ask the average Christian to define what the gospel is, they usually say something like, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And they wouldn't be wrong. Romans 5, 6, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the simple gospel. Amen. But when Paul defines the gospel throughout Romans and the other New Testament writers along with him, they have something even bigger in mind. The gospel isn't just an event we believe in for the forgiveness of our sins. Really, the gospel is the whole story, from Genesis to Revelation. It's the story of God himself coming to rescue and renew his people and all of creation in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. We are caught up in that story, and it's not done yet. To illustrate better what I mean, let, us, let's, uh, let me walk us through a quick narrative of the gospel story using four uh, key movements, creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. Starting with creation, Genesis 1-1 begins, in the beginning, God. That's how the story begins, because it's a story about God. It's his story. And then, God got to work. He created a beautiful universe, creating earth and all that fills it. And then he created man in his likeness, after his own image. And after making man, God said, it is very good. And he rested. 
It's God's way of declaring over them, what I made is very good. It is righteous, and I'm satisfied and finished with what I've done. Resting and dwelling with them in the garden. This is so important for us to see, church. God's powerful word made them who they are and declared over them what was true about them. So our identity and purpose and truth are all found in God's word for us and his work in us. So what happened in the fall? Well, Adam and Eve didn't believe. They didn't trust God's word and work for them. The problem was unbelief. The serpent came to Eve and said, God's word for you isn't true, nor is his work complete. You're not good and righteous as he says you are. God knows that if you take matters into your own hands, you'll be much better. You can be like God if you just eat the fruit yourself that he told you not to eat. And so they believe the lie instead of God's word and work. And so entered sin, death, and the worst punishment of all, separation from God. They were ushered out of the garden and out of God's presence. But we know the story doesn't end there. Right from the moment of the fall, God promises redemption. That through the offspring of Eve, a Savior would come into the world that would crush Satan. God will have the final. He would rescue his people from sin, death, and separation from him. It would surely happen because his word is true and his work is sufficient. And as the story unfolds, sin has its full effect on the world. People in rebellion against their creator, trusting in their own word and work, living in the lie of the evil one instead of trusting the truth of God. Like Paul says in Romans 1.25, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. But while sinful man ran his course, God was at work to redeem. God began to call a people to himself, a family, starting with Abraham that he would redeem the world through. A family that God spoke his word of truth to and proved his work among Over and over again, they failed to trust him and obey. And over and over again, God's grace and faithfulness proved greater, as he would continue to rescue and renew them. God chose, called, and created Israel to bring restoration to the world, but Israel failed. God's redemptive plan, however, did not. Redemption came through the offering of Eve, just as God said it would, and it came as God's very own Son, Jesus. Jesus came as the true and better Adam, as Paul showed us in Romans 5. Fully God, fully man, as the Son of Mary, and yet without sin. The better Adam lived the life that we were meant to live, perfectly trusting in and submitting to God, He overcame the lies of Satan, choosing instead to trust his father's word and work. He laid down his own life to bear the punishment for our sin as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith, as Romans 3.25 put it. 
completely removing the condemnation and guilt and covering the shame of whoever trusts in his word and work. He was buried and rose again on the third day, triumphant over Satan, sin, and death, which leads to the last part of the story, new creation. Jesus was raised with a glorified body. New creation had begun. Jesus took on all of our sin on the cross, paid for it with his blood, and in his resurrection has sealed his forever victory over Satan, sin, and death. And for all who simply trust in his word and work, that forever victory over Satan, sin, and death is yours too. And now, just as God did over Adam and Eve in the garden, he now speaks over us what's true for us in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, listen to God's gospel word for you. You are a new creation. Your old self is dead. You've been born again by the Holy Spirit, made alive together with Christ. You are never alone. The Holy Spirit is in your heart and he is always, will, always with you and always will be with you to the very end. You are his church, the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. You are his bride, which he will never leave nor forsake. You are his beloved son or daughter that he fully loves and is completely pleased with because of Jesus, together with the family of God that you see around you. You are no longer a slave to sin, but have been made free, empowered by the Spirit to live for him. You are counted completely righteous. For all your past, present, and future sins, there is now no condemnation. You have a guaranteed future and hope in God's presence forever waiting for you. You're an ambassador of Christ, a royal priesthood with a mission to make disciples of all people. You are God's new creation, brothers and sisters. This is who you are. This is what the gospel says that you are. So here we are. Garden of Eden, version two. Jesus was the better Adam is the better Adam, and we are his bride. Sort of like Eve, version 2. Everything we face in this reality, we ask the question, will I actively trust in God's word and work for me? Or will I believe, like, will I believe what God said is true about me and what he's done for me? Or will I believe the lie? For everyone in Christ, those gospel truths that I just said are forever true for you. But the struggle is actively believing it every day and living out of those truths. This is why we need the gospel to strengthen us. We need it spoken over us into our specific circumstances. We need to speak it to one another. Most of us in this room, and we know these things, right? It's usually not that we don't know it, it's that we need to be reminded constantly, as the Romans did. 
Let me give you four reasons why we typically have unbelief and why we need the gospel to strengthen us. Reason one, we don't believe because we lack the truth about God. I think this was probably true of a lot of the Roman church. There were a lot of new converts that just didn't understand the gospel yet. Jewish Christians that needed to know that they were free from the law. Gentile Christians that needed to know their lives of godlessness were now counted righteous because of Jesus. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're new in the faith or you just haven't been around the gospel language much. But that's okay. Now's the time to saturate yourself in God's word and get around other Christians that speak this gospel language. A second reason we have unbelief because we believe lies about God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. Right? We, we have a real, active, spiritual enemy, just like Eve did. Paul continues, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Okay, so every day we hear lies, and we need the gospel to take those thoughts captive and remind ourselves and one another of the truth of God, right? So I, I hear that lie, God can't accomplish his work through you, Will, and I need the gospel to tell me that that's a lie. And so I look to a verse like Ephesians 2.10 that says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yes, because of the gospel, that's true for me in Jesus. And so I remember it's not about me. This is God's work. Reason three we don't believe because we fail to put our faith in what we know to be true about God. Right? So we know the gospel truth doctrinally, but our lives don't show that we believe it. Like, when I profess I'm fully dependent on God in my life, but in reality, I don't pray like that. My life doesn't look like that. My self-sufficiency is unbelief. Or take, for example, someone that professes a belief that God has fully dealt with their sin on the cross and forgiven them of their sin. But they continue to believe that they need to behave better in order for God to love them. Anyone else ever have those thoughts sometimes? This is when we especially need to confess to someone and have them speak the gospel into our lives. Right? Like, like, what sin is it that you think out-trumps the blood of Jesus? Speak it out and have somebody speak the gospel into you. And a fourth reason, fourth reason we struggle with unbelief is that many of us man, are just broken. We've been wounded by others' sin. And we find ourselves in a place where it's just hard to trust again. It's hard to believe again because we've been lied to or hurt. And that's when the good news of the gospel reminds us that Jesus didn't just come to forgive us of our sins. 
Jesus came to heal us. By his wounds, we are healed. So for some of you, the gospel strengthening you means you need God to heal you through the ongoing good news of the gospel. All right, so those are, those are some reasons why, though we are believers in Jesus, why we might have regular, ongoing unbelief at work in us. We are like the father with the possessed son in Mark 9, saying, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, this unbelief at work in us, it, it isn't just for us to sort out on our own by ourselves. We are meant just like Paul did, to strengthen one another with it. So let's go back to the Garden of Eden, right? Now Eve tends to get the blunt of the blame for believing Satan's lies and taking the first bite. But the Bible says that Adam was right there with her and said nothing. While the enemy spoke lies to her and she struggles to believe God's word for her, Adam was silent. And that was Adam's sin. Adam should have said, firstly, snakes shouldn't talk, Eve. Right? Like, let's not listen to this one. And then he should have said, Eve, that's a lie. That's not true. God's word is true. He said that we're good. He promised he'll take care of us. He'll fill our every need. Believe God's word for you, Eve. But Adam failed. Good news. The second and better Adam, he doesn't fail. Jesus intercedes for us. He advocates for us. And he constantly speaks the truth to his new bride. Through his spirit, he convicts us when we're tempted. And he reminds us through his word, the truth of who we are in the gospel. And, listen, he actively speaks to us through his people who are filled with his spirit as we speak the gospel into each other's lives. Hebrews 3, 24 and 25. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. This is our job, brothers and sisters, fellow unbelievers, to daily speak the truths of the gospel into each other's lives, as long as it's called today. Now, if we can see that and admit that together, the question becomes, how do we actively practice this? What does this look like to regularly strengthen ourselves and one another in gospel truth? Well, firstly, in order to speak gospel truths to one another, we need to grow in our fluency of the gospel language. Jeff Vanderstelt, in his book, Gospel Fluency, gives the illustration like this. The gospel is the new language of the church. It's the language God means for us to speak the truths of Jesus to one another in the everyday stuff 
of life. There are lots of people in this room right now that have had to learn a second language. How did you learn it? Well, first, you have to study the language, usually in a classroom, right? But you can't become fluent until you what? Until you practice it with the people that speak that language. See, most of us are comfortable with hearing the gospel or even speaking it from the pulpit on a Sunday service. All right, this is the classroom, as it were. Okay, but this is one of the places we study the gospel language, but it's, it's out there, right? It's in the everyday stuff of life where we become fluent in speaking it. It's in our discussions with each other after service. It's around the dinner table when we eat meals together. That's how we become a people that regularly strengthen one another, not with worldly wisdom, not with behavior modification, but with the gospel. Now, one way to do this is with something that we call fruit to root. Um, like Jesus said in Luke 6 when talking about the fruit in people's lives, said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's the concept that the good and bad fruit that we see in our lives doesn't just appear out of nothing, right? But it comes from the heart. It, it grows out of the roots of our faith. And so fruit to root is just looking at the fruit in our lives and asking questions to get us down to where the root of that fruit might come from. Let me give an example. A couple weeks back, Sarah and I were having a chat and she was working through some doubt that she was feeling in regard to something in the future that she was hoping God would do. So I asked her, well, what, what fruit are you experiencing right now? What are you feeling? Well, she said, I guess I feel afraid. Why do you, why do you feel afraid? I, I don't know. I think I'm afraid that, that he won't do this thing in my life as a consequence for me not pursuing him enough. And I feel shame. Shame that it won't happen because I'm not good enough or gifted enough to make this thing work. And just pause there for a second. Notice the first thing that Sarah did to make this work is she was honest. She confesses what she's feeling. And she's not going to stop there. In order for us to be a people fluent in speaking the gospel to each other in our lives, we need to be open and honest with each other. Honest about your feelings and honest about your doubts. Let the psalmist be your guide here. They sing out their doubts and fears to God and to the whole congregation. That doesn't mean they don't believe in him. They're just actually authentic and honest in what they're experiencing. All right, so Sarah's fruit in this moment is fear and shame. Now I want to walk with her to the root. And so I begin to ask her three questions. One, what are you believing about yourself right now? What do you believe that God is doing? And what are you believing about God? And so I asked, Sarah, in light of the uh, fruit that you just told me about, what are you believing about yourself right now? She said, I, I guess that I'm not gifted enough and that I don't deserve what I hope God will do. All right? Again, Sarah knows the Sunday school answers here. That's not the problem. She's just being honest about her belief in the moment. 
I'm not gifted enough. I don't deserve what I hope God will do. Anyone else ever feel those? So I continue. And in this situation, what are you believing that God is doing? She said, well, that's, that's hard. She said, because I know that's not true, and as soon as I say it out loud, it's going to sound so dumb. Right? Man, I know I relate to that. We know it's not true, so we're embarrassed to even say it out loud, and so we don't say it. But listen, we're a confessional people, church. We need to speak out loud our beliefs and our doubts, even when we know they're not true. She said, well, I guess I believe he didn't design me well enough, that he doesn't care about me, and that he's not working for my good. Okay, now we're getting down to the root. So I asked the last question. So in light of that, what are you believing about God right now? She said, I guess I'm believing that he's unloving, that he's angry, and that he's a, a poor designer in how he's made me. Our beliefs about God are the root. Fruit to root. I know that's not true, though, she said. That's not who God is. See, now that the root of the unbelief was out in the open, she's able to see it for what it is. Sarah can really begin to be strengthened by the gospel now. I'm going to remind her of what's true for her in Jesus and Sarah's going to receive it. And it's so easy to say, yeah, yeah I, I know the gospel already. You don't need to tell me that. But again, it's, it's about being reminded continually. So I said, you're right, honey. Let me just encourage you in the gospel. Because you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God through Jesus. Romans 5.1. He's not angry with you. Because Jesus paid for that. In Romans 8.1, there's... Therefore, now no condemnation for you in Jesus. And whether God gives you this thing or not, it's up to him. He might not give it to you. But no, that's not because of punishment. Know his heart. Whatever he does, he does because he loves you. Romans 8.28, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And along with that, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously give us all things? Sweetheart, if he gave up the most precious being in the universe, when you were at your worst, Romans 5, 8, why would he withhold any other good? You're right that you don't deserve this. But Jesus does. And because of him, God now loves you with the same love that he has for Jesus. And Sarah Psalm 139 says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are his works. And I went on to just encourage her with all the gifts that I've seen in her and ways that I've seen God work through her. Now look, I know that was a long example, but I wanted to give you a drawn out way that this can look like. It doesn't have to be those exact questions. It's just helping each other to speak out the unbelief in our lives and then speaking gospel truth into it. It's not always going to look like that. See, Sarah and I have been practicing that numerous times over the years. We're getting more fluent. If speaking the gospel into someone's life is new to you, 
At first, you'll probably sound like me trying to speak Irish to someone, right? Jesus, Sirsha, August, Gra. Right, like, it's just going to be ugly. But this is our language, church. We have to speak it, practice it. The gospel is our language. The gospel identifies us, it values us, and it empowers us. Just like we've seen Paul do throughout Romans. And so my challenge for you this week is to try to speak gospel truth into someone's life. Try that fruit-to-root exercise. Ideally, with somebody that you trust, but man, if you need to try it by yourself for the first time, that's, that's okay. Write it out. Take your fruit and bring it down to the root. And then use the truths of Jesus to strengthen yourself or someone else in the gospel. Do as the Romans do, as God's people do, and strengthen one another in the gospel. As I close, let me strengthen you in the gospel one last time using only words from Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God shows his love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You are justified by his grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Since, therefore, you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God through Jesus. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, by which we cry, Abba, Father. God's love has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit who he has given to you. Your old self was crucified with him so that you're no longer a slave to sin. Sin has no dominion over you. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because the spirit of life life has set you free in Christ Jesus, your present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in you. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. If God is for you, who can be against you? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. God, God, we just rejoice in who you are what you've done for us. This is your story and you are the hero. 
We thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us and is doing in us and will do through us and for us. God, I pray these words of your gospel truth, God, may they not just sit an inch deep in our minds, but would they sink down into our hearts. God, help us to believe in what you say is true of us. We need your help. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. So we pray, God, would you be at work? Would you be at work today? Would you be at work throughout the week? Would you be at work throughout our lives as we as we fight to believe in your truth for us? We thank you, God, that you see our belief in you, simple as it is, faulty as it is. You see it as righteousness in Jesus. We thank you for that. Pray that you be with us today. In your name we pray. Amen.